Again, we've been going right through this book, so I encourage you to get your Bible out and read these things for yourself. Um, it's going to be important when we get to the rest of the message um, and, and recognize some of the things we're going to be talking about that you read these things with your own eyes. Um, there'll be one other passage that we put up this morning. So if you don't mind, I want to have a word of prayer and I want to jump right in. Go ahead and put that title up there, Nick. So this is what I'm going to talk about today. We are going to talk about sin. Um, I, when I go through a series, I don't get to pick and choose. I read, I go through exactly what the passage talks about. Um, so we need to uh, have a moment of prayer before we begin. Prepare our hearts uh, for what the Lord wants to speak to us today. All right. So Lord, now in this moment, I bet even when people in this congregation see that word up on the screen, perhaps they get a little bit uncomfortable. And so now in this moment, first and foremost, may we be reminded that each and everyone here in this room is loved by God, scandalously loved by God, unconditionally loved by God. But we, as we've been set up in this book, we must be reminded that the way that we love God back is with our life, with our devotion to him. And so now all across this place, may our hearts be soft to consider how we can love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk about the title in just a moment, but first I want to come right off of the passage that Rod just read, right at the beginning of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. And I want to start with, but I actually want to start with verse 32. We're going to, I'm going to read this again quickly since Rod already read it. In verse 32, 432, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ Jesus forgave you. Follow God's example... Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's three things that Paul pointed out where he tells us to be imitators of God, and he gives three examples of how to be imitators. The first is in forgiveness. We've talked a lot about forgiveness in here, and I still will tell you today, forgiveness is is the most powerful connection that you can have with your Lord and Savior that is available to you each and every day. Because as we prayed the Lord's Prayer as a litany today, it says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The reason that is in the Lord's Prayer is because it's an experiential opportunity. It's never meant to just be something that we say It's meant to be something that we do, that we let go of bitterness so that we can identify with Christ and what he did for us. So he says, be imitators of God in forgiveness. The next one, in humility, the comparison here is made to as a child. Be be imitators of God as obedient children. The recognition of of in our relationships with our parents, we have an understanding in our early on in our in our youngest ages. It doesn't last very long, though, does it? Where we where we believe that our parents know what is best, and this is is where this attitude is given that we would have an attitude of humility, have humility as we imitate the Lord. And the next one, and I want to be. This is what I prayed this morning. 
And I want to make sure we are really clear on this before we get into this topic. The, the next is to be imitators of Christ in love. I, I, I feel like I need to just preach this love sermon all over again each and every time I come up here because we're missing the book of Ephesians if we don't. Okay, so once again, I'm going to remind you again that Paul set up these first three books of Ephesians to remind us of our our identity, to remind us of a God that loves us unconditionally, to remind us of a God that has done everything for us, to to, to remind us of who you are in Christ, and that if you have a relationship compared to as some of your most intimate relationships here on this earth, it will be natural for you to want to love this God back. So when we talk about sin as we're about to, we must be reminded that this isn't... You're, you're going to hear me say, I'm not trying to approach this at you with some legalistic standard. I'm approaching this with you from the, from the concept of love. That here is a God that loves you. And that yes, you were created to love Him back. And so now we're going to get into this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 3, and I'm going to read down through verse 20. It says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And 10, verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I wonder what goes through your heart when you read those passages. And I don't want you to say anything out loud, but I hope you've recognized now that the title of this sermon is a paradoxical statement. Because I think most of you have been in church and have heard preaching long enough to know that biblically, this statement really isn't true. There's not really a category of really the bad ones. You may have seen this, like seen things like that, like the seven deadly sins that comes from Catholicism that was built on from popes and generations. So let's pick these things out. These are really the worst. That was a man-made organism there, not biblical. 
And so I think that most of us, would, uh, those, those who have studied the Bible from a Christian perspective, have come to understand that this statement is not true. But it's a paradox, because while that is true, most Christians live as if it is true. Well, I'm not going to kill anybody, so I'm a good person. Or I'm not going to have an affair on my wife, so I'm a good person. I want to ask you a couple questions. The first two I want you to answer. The next two I don't want you to answer. First one. From reading this text, is there a lax attitude about sin in this text? Right here. Absolutely not. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual morality. That's how it begins. And that just sexual morality goes with so many things, there must not even be a hint. The next one, I want you to answer this one. Is there a lax attitude about sin in our culture? Yes. Now don't answer these. These are for your reflection. Is there a lax attitude about sin in the church today? The final one. Is there a lax attitude about sin in our church? See, I would never consider myself to be a fundamentalist preacher. Because here's what seems to happen. Oftentimes when when pastors talk about sin, and we could do this so easily in our context, we could take something, we could find something like like let's say homosexuality, which is such a big deal in our in our denomination today, is causing such conflict. But we've discussed in the, a, a good majority of everyone here are kind of on the same page in that issue. So I could spend a whole sermon, and I could take this sermon about about what Ephesians says about sin, and we could talk about homosexuality for 30 minutes, and I could have all of you rallying behind and agreeing with me that this is such a bad thing because we're doing this, this thing where we're now we're finding people to point the finger at and saying that these people are wrong, and we're rallying behind a cause. But I just don't think that's that exhorting to the church. All of us finding some people to point the finger at and say they're wrong and we got it right. That's never been my goal as a preacher. It's not to find all the things that we can, we can find our way to judge someone else, but rather for those of you that are sitting here in this congregation to allow this text to speak to you and allow it to be made personal to the people that come in here every morning. That we need to deal with sin in our life. So what about when the scripture speaks to you? Here, I want to read a, a verse to you. So here's, here's what happens in Ephesians first, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20. This is, uh, so I, I titled this message, The Big Sins and the Small Sins. Here is one exception in scripture. Or you can find an example. Another one could be the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which I can talk to you about later. But here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20. And I want you to hear this. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. 
For all of their sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, I want you to leave that one up there, Nick. Now, take a look at that passage for a second. And I want you to notice why that, that verse is there, because you can see it, in, it here in a second. What is the entity, that's just the word I'm going to use, you could say personality, um, you could say living thing, that is being offended in this passage? Yes. Who nailed that? That was an awesome answer. Yes, the Holy Spirit. So now, hear me. There's a lot of sin in this world. There's a lot of people that you see uh, commit sinful acts every day, and they, give, they, they don't give a rip about it. They don't care. And there's some people, even in this church, that you may be really upset about because it seems as if they don't, they don't care about the things that are sinful that you do. But here's the truth, church. The person sitting in your seat right now really is the one that you should be most offended by. Now, he or she is a good person. The person that they have always been made certainly is not that bad of an act. But what I hope you find offensive is that this same person comes in every Sunday and sits in your seat and may tell you things like your sin is small, but theirs is big. Or may say things like you have always been this way and you're not going to change. This person that you have always been is the one standing in the way of your destiny. Somebody believes that, they might say, amen. That person walks in here every Sunday carrying baggage from the past, preoccupied in the present, and fearful about the future, and has the audacity to tell the Spirit of God in you how it's going to be. Hmm. Has the audacity to say, this is what I'm going to do in church today, and this is what I'm not going to do in church today. This is an area of my life where I might be willing to change, but this is certainly an area of my life where there will be absolutely no growth and no shift and no change at all. What I'm trying to say is every one of you have the Spirit of God in you that is crying out and saying, let me live. I have been placed in you by the almighty God, and yet you choose to neglect me so often. Church, this is not just a West Alexandria Church of the Brethren thing. This is in every congregation all across America. We get so easily offended by everything and everyone else, but not offended enough about how we keep ourselves in the same ruts, in the same unhealthy patterns, because we refuse to be obedient to the plan of God in our lives and truly live. I sat um, yesterday morning with Jill and with Natalie as we were at a uh, Harrow. It was, it was called uh, Hope for Our Community, I believe, and it was... It was a meeting where we had some, where we brought some awareness of the of the of, uh, the heroin epidemic in our county, and um, one of the the best. It's everything is so early when it comes to this. This is a massive task to take on, and, and many people don't have the answers. And where the answers are starting to come is that 
the churches are starting to connect with, the, with each other and realizes some of the impact that we can make and the resources that we have. And so I'm going to be, I'm just trying to take a quick window here to tell you I will be, I hope to be talking with you more about this as there becomes some specific opportunities for you to get involved. But I wanted to share that there was something that got my attention. There's a man that, that came up and was telling us about what Miami County is doing about this epidemic and a lot of really good things. And and he, he, he said something at one point that truly got my attention that I thought was incredibly relevant for today. And he said, he said they had a Hope for Heroin event in Miami County. And it got to the point where the, the weather was just absolutely horrible. The event started off nice and the weather started pouring down rain. It just became really nasty out. And he saw all of these addicts and people that were connected continuing to stand there in the rain and continuing to, to seek out after God. He said these people were hungry. And he challenged us, when is the last time you have had that kind of hunger? And see, here's the truth. The only differences between us, one of the only differences between a spiritually hungry person and one that is not is that the hungry person knows what they're missing. I'm going to say that again. One of the only differences between a spiritually hungry person and one that is not is that the hungry person knows what they're missing. They know what they need. They know what they don't have. But those that are stagnant, they don't recognize their need for a savior. They don't recognize their need for God, their need to remove dark areas of their life. See, church, at the end of the day, it always comes back to personal spiritual growth, to personal change. And the truth is, I can put it as blank statement clearly as I possibly can for you. There will never be revival in this congregation unless individuals in this church recognize their longing need for a Savior and desire to change and remove the dark areas of their life and experience victory in Jesus Christ. But if you do, we will see revival in this congregation. Because as Jesus said, when you lift me up, I will draw all men to me. When he becomes first in our life and we can't help, we don't, you don't need to come to church to hear Pastor Brody to talk, talk about it because we've been talking about him all week. We've been telling others what's going on in our life spiritually and we keep lifting him up. Other people will recognize and know that the presence of God is here because he's moving in your lives. See, I've never been a fundamentalist preacher, and I'm not doing it still today, but I can't deny, as I realize I have to share, it's important that I share testimonies and be honest about things that, 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 that happened in my life. From the moment I was 19, I had an ardent disgust and an ardent displeasure with the things that were sinful in my life. I, I went to a pretty radical youth ministry, and it was in weeks that I was taking all of my secular CDs and destroying them and throwing them like Frisbees across my apartment and realizing that there needed to be something in my eyes that was still set apart. And still to this day, I have, I have filters on my computer. We have filters connected um, to, to, the ki- to my kids as well because on my good days, I don't really get tempted, but on my worst days, you better believe I do. 
I still need accountability. And just this last week, I had my accountability partner that I'm talking to. What I'm trying to tell you is that this stuff in my life makes me personally angry. And it's not because I'm legalistic. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because, dang it, I love God and he changed my life and I'm not going to let go of him. And my prayer is that one day you'll realize that that's exactly what is happening here. Forget what your church thinks about you. Forget what people out there think about you. Forget what the culture has accepted. You have decided that you have a relationship with an almighty God that loves you. And it's your calling to pursue him with everything that you have. This guy in front of you still struggles with lust. This guy in front of you still struggles with bitterness. He still struggles with entitlement. He still struggles with watching shows that are absolutely no, uh, do not bring any fulfillment. I find myself, why in the world am I watching this? And oh, and then so many things that this guy right in here, right up here struggles with on the omission end. The people that I don't share my faith with. The times when I choose to be passive rather than take the opportunities to be bold. I've shared so many times with you, church, about the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction, condemnation is when you tell yourself that you stink. That comes from the enemy. It's like you've always been this way. You're horrible. You're a, you're a sinful person. You're worthless. You're a failure. That's from the enemy. That's condemnation. Conviction is something so much better than that. It's that longing in you that realizes there's something better, Brody, that you're not experiencing. If you will choose to do things my way, I'm going to show you this power in you, and I'm going to expand it. You're going to see it affect each and everything else in your life. Conviction is that constant longing for more of God because we know we're missing something. And that's the hunger that that preacher was talking about yesterday, that a heroin addict realizes that a religious Christian can't. Come on. We need God. Now, so my prayer, last week I gave you a prayer challenge. I I challenged some of you to go and to go and pray, and that you couldn't ask God for anything. <laughs> you could just love God, and you could, you could seek God, but you couldn't ask. And so a couple of you did that, and I was encouraged by hearing your stories. So I'll give you another one this week. Now I want to challenge you and say that you're not allowed to pray for anything to change except for yourself. That's what we do every time. We pray that all this, this would change, this situation would change, this person would get healed, these things would go better. But really, at the end of the day, even that prayer that we prayed is designed to be about you interacting with the Lord and personal change happening in your life. So now that we've said all that, I want to do something. I want to read back over these passages. I told you in the beginning, I don't know what your heart, what state your heart is in when you read through these things. And so now that you realize these passages are talking to you, not someone that doesn't come to church, not the person sitting next to you, they're speaking to you. I want to read through just these top verses here again. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of any kind of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God.
See, this is now, if you were just reading through that and now looking at it in light of your life, this is exactly what now verses 8 says you are supposed to be doing. In verse 8 it says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. I'm going to go to verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless leads of darkness. And here's what you've been doing. But rather, expose them. Verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is exactly what you're supposed to be doing as a Christ follower. See, remember our natural relationship out of love that we set up in previous weeks. We talked about how without love it is impossible for you to understand why should you should remove sin in your life. Because without love, this is just endless legalism. It's just a set of rules that I'm supposed to keep that I will never be able to keep. I will always fail. I will always drop the ball. Those things, you know, they, they make sense if like you have this set of rules. It's like a basketball team. If you can't do this, you're going to get cut from the team. It doesn't work that way. These are the things in a relationship that you continue to remove so that you can draw closer to the one that you love. The sacrifice that, you, that you're willing to make for the sake of someone else. See, the truth is that the church, this is happening all across our culture today. The church is losing its ability to be the authority of sin because many of its members are no longer in a loving relationship with Christ, but rather a superficial one. Superficial, a few definitions are insincere, convenient, seeming, posturing. That's a good word. We have the posture and appearance of a Christ follower, but we really are not following Christ. We really do not have a relationship where we could say we're following close behind him. See, and here's the thing. If we don't love God, if we don't have this relationship, we will have no desire to remove sin from our life. And then if we do not have that, we will have no desire to disciple others in this loving relationship with Christ. And so I don't say these things because I'm hopeless, church. I say these things because you are the hope. See, I have not spent any time this morning reading through and defining verses 3 through 5. Taking each one of those sins apart and dissecting and saying, here's what this is and here's what this means and here's what this doesn't mean. Because the truth is, you read through those things again, 3 through 5. You already know what they mean, don't you? There's no big sins and small sins. Greed is right up there with sexual morality. Idolatry, I'm not really an idolater because I don't have idols at my house, but yet money is the most important thing in my life. Come on. We know what all of these things are. We don't need a definition We don't need a pastor to spell all this out for us because if that's really what we're looking for, we're looking to find a way in hopes that we're in the clear. Rather, let these verses speak to your life and get a hunger and a love for God and a desire to remove them. 
And then you will have a hunger and a desire to help someone else and disciple them. And then you will have a hunger and a desire to share your faith with other people. And then you will begin to have victory in your life because you are allowing the spirit of God to move in you. It's okay, church, to let conviction happen. This is, the actual, this is the goal of Paul's writing, that you can become passionate enough to remove this in your life, that even as it said, verse 3, there would not even be a hint of these things. Now, finally, I want to close with verses 15 through 20. It says this, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, with hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, to the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just a few things I want to say in closing. First off, whether you notice it or not, whether you notice it or not, yes, not just in this passage, but drunkenness is, is defined as a sin biblically. But drunkenness in this passage is also used to express two other metaphors. The first is this idea here of being intoxicated by the culture that you live in. Yesterday or last Sunday, I used the illustration kind of like a fog that you can't really, you can only really see exactly what's in front of you, and you can only really see exactly what's directly behind you. But you no longer have an idea of the big picture. You're just kind of living in the fog, and it's like as the 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 metaphor goes, it's like as if we are intoxicated. Our minds are not set really fully to comprehend the will of God because we're intoxicated by the culture. Not only can we not comprehend, frankly, we don't really care. We're living intoxicated by the world. We don't really care what the, world's, what, what the Lord's will is. We're more consumed and intoxicated with that which is in front of us, with that which requires our sensuality, not our spirituality. The second metaphor in this passage is the Spirit of God is the contrast to the comparison to drunkenness and then being filled. Don't be filled with with wine, as the text says, but be filled with the Spirit of God. I've shared my story before that I've experienced this contrast very real in my life. I had a moment when I just begin, I had a moment still to this day, I have moments with God when I begin to laugh in a way that I can't explain it theologically, all I know is that the Lord begins to move in, in my life. And what, what Paul is saying, I've got to say experientially that this is real. Taste and see that the Lord is good, that the Spirit of God can give you something that a substance never can and never will. That is how real the Spirit of God can be in your life. And now finally, here's what it says in, in the rest of this verse. It talks about singing hymns and It says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. Now, I want to give you... uh, See, dealing with old sin creates new victory. Dealing with old sin creates a new understanding of who God is. We call this, in, in in my Pentecostal churches, we call this a new song. Now, every once in a while, this is one of my favorite things that would happen in, 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 in charismatic church services. And, 
and it was, you know, many of you will think that this is a little bit strange, but, but there would always be these moments that kind of at the end of a worship set where you would hear a worship leader say, now at this time, I just want you to, to meditate on the, upon the Lord and sing a new song unto God. And it was, it was so, sometimes it was funny to watch the reaction of people because some people didn't really know what that meant. Some people just kind of like bowed their head and prayed. But what it really meant was now, now what, is, what is a testimony that you have about the Lord? What is God doing in your life today? What can you say thank you for? What can you say praise the Lord for? And then you know what? Sing it in a song. Make up your own song. Whatever it sounds like, just begin to sing out to God. And you see some that would do that and some that, some that wouldn't, this expression of just simple love, that there is something new happening in me because I am dealing with the old things that won't let me grow. New songs from, come from new victories over old sin. New songs come from a new understanding of who God is. Isn't it time for a new song in your life? You'd say this morning, I'm done with bitterness, and I'm replacing it. I'm watching the Spirit of God replace it with joy. I'm done talking about other people negatively behind their back, and instead now I'm affirming others every chance that I get. I'm done spending way too many hours on Facebook comparing myself to others, and instead now I'm finding myself spending time in the Word and finding out who I really am. All across this church today, I want to ask you to to close your eyes and bow your heads. Maybe you would say this morning that, yes, that is what I want, a new song in my life, a song, a new song that comes with dealing with old sin. And so, look, here's the real simple thing I'm going to do. I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to respond what the Lord may be saying to you. I asked you to Read back through those passages and let let the Lord speak to you directly, not as if you're trying to point the finger at someone else. As I said earlier, you are the person in this church that you should be the most offended by. You're the one that keeps you from spiritual growth. No one else. The ball is always in your court. So now, have you heard the Lord speak to you? I'm not going to ask you to come to this altar this morning, but I am going to ask you, out of, out of an opportunity, a public opportunity, whatever you want to call this, there's nobody else looking around except for me, but an expression to say, yes, Lord, I hear you. It is time for me to deal with this in my life. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to begin doing that today. No more time to reflect. If that's you, lift up your hand right now. Today's the day. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, across this room, some have lifted up their hands, and now, yes, thank you. And now, here's the next thing, as we've talked about today. We've talked about a new song. Now, I'm not going to ask you to sing, but just in your own words, quietly at your seat, or loudly, if that's time to be bold, I want you to begin to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what, you've, what you're doing in my life. You're recognizing right now that his ways are better. Just with a whisper, with your own words, Right now, your own chance to sing a new song. Lord, thank you that you are near. And all the different ways that I push you away, Lord, and I try to give up, you keep drawing me in, Holy Spirit. You are present. You're God that's never failed me. I've failed you time and time again. And Lord, you haven't failed me yet. Lord, today, 
we want to recognize with reverence the call to be your church. That we have to get this relationship right with each individual in an individual relationship with Jesus Christ that affects the corporate relationship with each other and that affects our impact in this world and in this community today. If we are not people that care enough about growing in our relationship with you, then we will never be people that care enough about seeing others come into relationship with you and about our church making an impact today. That is the clear reality that we have to come to accept. The call to love God more. So Lord, awaken us to this call. Awaken us to your presence speaking to us this morning. Awaken us to to your love. And Lord, I pray that what is said today would not just go from from ears as people walk out this door, but, but others will continue to look at their lives in light of the word. And as they begin to respond to sin in their life, I pray in the name of Jesus, it would be with conviction and not condemnation. The enemy would like to use moments like this to tell people how, how many times they have failed and how all the things they will never be and all the things they will never do and remind them of all of their failures. That's not at all what you do. Your presence awaken us to say, I've got so much more that I want to show you. I've got so much more power that I want to reveal in you. I've got so much more impact that I want you to make. I have a way of life where my yoke will be easy and your burden will be light if you will just trust me. May we sense your conviction, your love, your better way that we are being invited to this morning. And Holy Spirit, may we choose to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Before your benediction, just to remind you, um, we will have Love Feast immediately following service, so we would love to have you join us downstairs. Um, we got some things to sign up for this week. Tuesday night, we'll be passing out candy here. Wednesday will be our community meal, and is there, I don't know if there's any other turkey supper prep this week, but all that information as well is in your bulletin. So, your benediction. May you live in the light and expose the misdeeds of darkness. May you be filled with the Spirit and make the most of every opportunity. And may you sing a new song from your spirit as a testimony to what God is doing in your life today. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.